to sound Tuning in for change Good day, Kind of Sound Radio is Getting to know you Getting to know all about you Getting to like you Getting to hope you like me Thank you for a really entertaining half hour of music, David. Welcome to Getting to Know You, David Foster. Thank you very much, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) So as well as a passion for musical theatre and opera and actually all music, you've run your own graphic design business for the past 16 years and worked in the magazine industry for oh many years before that. Um, So combining this creativity with following your heart um, and passion with playwriting, theatre directing, and um, (laughs) being dragged into being involved with our horse and donkey rescue sanctuary on a daily basis, it's led you to be guardian of Kinder Village, 80 acres of beautiful Welsh land and mini cottages, where we are both embarking on setting up a respite centre for carers and supporting those in need of mental health support. So how did all of this journey begin? Ah, well, thank you very much, Jackie. That's quite an intro. Um, Okay, well, starting at the very beginning, let's start at the very... No. Um, I was born on the 24th of August, 1959, in Hinchley Wood in Surrey. Um, My my mum, Joan, she was a nurse and a midwife. Um, My father, Derek was a chartered accountant. He worked up in the city at a a relatively big chartered accountant firm. Um, Very much, I think, probably wanted me to follow in his footsteps and go into the business world, ideally accountancy. I think probably the only interesting bit that that appealed to you was that he was, um, one of his biggest clients were the Beatles at one stage, weren't they? Well, they were, yes. He, he was, he, his, his firm was involved with the Beatles split up. So that, that was quite, in, and he, he got to meet um, most of the Beatles. Um, Apart from that, music, numbers weren't really your thing. Numbers though, weren't. No, he did try very hard <laughs> to um, sort of instill the idea of um, uh, accountancy into me at an early age. He used to, Rock me to sleep, reciting times tables to me, but um, unfortunately, they never really stuck, and I was <laughs> I was never very good at my times tables. Um, so what other early memories do you have, David, apart from times tables? Um, I suppose my my main earliest memories were sort of family based, big family based um, memories. So I've I've got four sisters. I'm one of five. I'm the second of five. I have four sisters: Caroline, Mary. Jenny and Sue. And Sue's here with us today in the studio. Well, in the studio. Hi, Sue. Hi, Sue. Hello. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I mean, so we had, obviously, we were quite a big family anyway, but our extended family, uh, my father's brother, Alan, had four children as well, and we used to meet up for Christmases and other notable occasions like that. And those are the sort of memories I can remember, all sitting, Mm -hmm. sitting around big, huge tables having Christmas dinner and playing games on the 
you know, on the carpet in my at my grandparents' house, mm. and that that those those are the sort of memories I can remember. Nice, nice. Sue, what early memories do you have of David? What's your earliest memory of your big brother? Yeah, I would say there was a couple really. I was thinking one was um, I remember he went to boarding school, which I'm sure you'll talk about. And when he came back, he was obviously tasked with having to, and I was quite young at the time. He was tasked with having to read. The Hobbit um, over the summer holidays, and so he dragged me and my twin sister. We were the babies of the of the family into his bedroom, where he would proceed to read it to us very theatrically. So <laughs> I remember that. Um, but you used to you used to love that, didn't you, Sue? No, I absolutely hated it, and even to this day, I can't even watch the film. <laughs> <laughs> You you were lucky. I could I could have done all three books of the Lord of the Rings. Oh dear, no! Kill me now. So no, yes. So that, so that that was one memory, and the other I was remembering about music. I can just remember. I think I can accredit Dad and David being kind of bringing me into the love of music and listen because he used to listen to David Bowie. That was your favourite person at one point and I can remember you listening to David Bowie and then collecting millions of records in boxes and then um, obviously you then set up your own little um, disco which was called the Revolution Disco. That is Um, correct. I know and I can remember being just loving listening to music with you actually. Oh Um, nice to have a big brother who can inspire you like that that's very yeah my memories. Oh nice so back to boarding school days David, how was that for you at a very young age? Yeah, so my my parents were very much of of the thought that we all, all of us, went off to boarding school at one point. And they'd done that and they thought this was the best education that we could possibly have. So um, I was sent off to a school called Copthorne um, in Sussex um, at the tender age of eight. Um, And that was, you know, so I was boarding there during the term and coming home in holidays at holidays. And I mean, my over my memories of that arriving at Copthorne at that age and being handed by my parents over to this smiling, welcoming woman who was the headmaster's wife called Mrs. Sale, um, who as soon as the parents had disappeared, turned into this ogre and tormented us for our whole time at, oh, at school. So um, but generally, generally, actually, Copthorne wasn't too bad. Copthorne was the first place that I actually got into drama. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I first uh, got into Gilbert and Sullivan plays. They used to put on an annual Gilbert and Sullivan play. And I, when I was age nine, I think I was in a performance of The Mikado, um, I was in the chorus of schoolgirls, so I was dressed in a kimono on stage. Oh, for the so your first love time. of cross dressing started. That's then. obviously. When that <laughs> you were always a girl, weren't you? I was always a girl. I was surrounded by so many sisters. It's not surprising. <laughs> um, but I used to come home from those. So. Coming home for the holidays was obviously a big thing when you're boarding and spending time with the, with your family. And <clears throat> Sue and all the other my other sisters would be coming home, obviously, from their school. And I used to spend my while away the time waiting for this to happen by writing a play or two to yeah. perform in for the family. And 
Caroline and Mary, my elder two sisters, were far too sassy to get involved with this, <laughs> and never, and I, I could never persuade them to be involved. But Jenny and Sue loved being involved with my plays, didn't you? Sue? <laughs> I think we felt we had to. No, no, we did. It was fun, actually. It was good. Um, your enthusiasm was kind of pushed us on. So, yeah. <laughs> budding actresses. Did you manage to rope in all your cousins on those big family occasions as well? Well, no, like well, cast no, no. It was it was a very um, self-centred performance. <laughs> <laughs> I would take all the leading roles, and Jenny and Sue would take all the subsidiary roles, and we would perform for my cousins and my aunts <laughs> and uncles and family. But yes, um, yes, it was. <laughs> we, we did. I mean, the, we did do some plays which my which my father. You will remember these two as well. Which my father yeah. and and local, you know, the ch- children from um, the local school that we were at. This is before I went to Copthorne. Um, would get involved with, um, and we'd perform them in our garden. At, but, um, so, so your dad inspired you into theatre. Well, yeah, as a person, he person, can be yeah. blamed for all of this craziness. <laughs> oh, and you know, it's so weird when we were talking about this. Um, um, Copthorne was actually where one of the places I grew up, and we lived a stone's throw from each other when we were sort of whatever nine, ten years old, and um, obviously didn't know. Well, not obviously, but we didn't know each other then. But so weird looking back and thinking, oh, we were literally kind of neighbours at that stage for a few years. <laughs> I know that, that. Well, obviously, we didn't know, but that that was one of those weird synchronicity things. We might mention a couple of others along the way, but quite a few where our paths could have crossed and crossed very closely yeah. along the way. So weird. So um, after after Copthorne, you went on to Hurst Pierpoint College um, in 1974. And how was that for you? Okay, so so Copthorne was a quite a small school, and you know, and as I said, my experience there was 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 pleasant enough, even though obviously I was away from home. Um, but Hurst Pierpoint was a much bigger school, and I still had those private boarding school um that mentality and even though things like fagging which you would have you know anybody who's read tom brown's school days and those sort of books will have come across even though that had officially been abolished by that point it still went on in that you know the prefects would expect the new boys and the younger boys to wash their shirts and clean their shoes and run around after them and if you didn't you'd You'd get punished, etc. So, not a not a great experience. I never, I didn't really enjoy those those years at all. It was, yeah, it was a very different um, place mm. than my first school. Yeah, which is a little bit more homely, I suppose. Yeah, if boarding schools can be homely. I mean, you, it was you. You were there <laughs> to make a man of you. Is kind of what they what the idea was, but I never really sort of saw how that was going to work and 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 because also i mean i'd come from this this family of four sisters and me i was the only boy apart from dad obviously was there um and now i was in this all-male environment with with and and all of the unpleasantness that goes alongside that when you've got a lot of boys together in close proximity so yeah not not but my- it has to be said 
I think that thank goodness for the fact that you did have four lovely, lovely, lovely sisters that kept you really, you know, kept that that lovely nurturing side of you alive because so many people who go to boarding school just get shut down emotionally as a coping mechanism. And and you totally have held on to that lovely sensitive side of you and, and really caring and emotional. So well, yeah. thank you, Noah. I mean, I think that is true. No, I mean, I, there were boys, obviously, that were single children at school that would go home and probably not because you didn't have that network of friends at home. Your friends were at school and then all your friends at school were from very various parts of the country or other countries even. And so you didn't tend to see them during the holidays. So their holidays must have been very lonely, I imagine. Whereas, yes, I had sue to torment with my plate (laughs) (laughs) and back to drama Hurst Pierpoint um had a a really lovely theater didn't it yeah so that so Hurst Pierpoint prided itself on its um on its sporting grounds which were you know they had very extensive sporting uh, rugby fields and hockey pitches and tennis courts I tried to stay away as much as possible from anything (laughs) that had sport involved so uh, but they also had a very lovely theater which now i've been back there recently they've expanded into this magnificent theater but even back then it was it was it was a nice theater and they would put on you know termly plays which i used to get involved with and by the time i got into the sixth form when things you know by, by that point you kind of felt a bit more like you belonged in the school you didn't have the older boys picking on you so I didn't pick on all the younger boys, obviously, because I wasn't like that. But um, but you did feel that you belonged a bit more. And so those last few years, couple of years, were much more pleasant there, apart from the fact that I was doing A-levels and other examinations, which, which um, had to be done. But I also got more involved with the theatre there, and that was where I first directed a play. Um, I've directed The Ghost Train by Arnold Ridley, which is a, which is a great play. It was written by Arnold Ridley with Private Godfrey in in um, Dad's Army, if you can remember him. And it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a nice it, it's a it's a great period piece play. Um, so I, I was doing that, and as Sue mentioned before, at that point I was starting to get into music much more. And set and the up the Revolution Disco. Yeah, set up the Revolution Disco. This this was uh, some friends of ours, um, three guys that we knew, ran another disco called the Burning Deck Disco, and you'll remember them soon, I'm sure. Oh yes, fantastic. Um, and they kind of inspired me to I want to do this as well, and so I competition competition absolutely <laughs> um so as sue says i collected ridiculous amounts of because everything was on vinyl in those days you didn't have any cds even or certainly not any um online music um so i had boxes of boxes of uh, singles um, which you still have yeah i still do have some uh, yes <laughs> they, they, they they've traveled from house to house with me and now all the way to wales <laughs> and, all, and they're now in wales um, and I remember making very, very amateurish lights out of orange boxes and with, <laughs> with coloured bulbs in them, which I'd sort of set up with a sound to light sequencer so that they would flash in front with the music, but would be totally frowned upon in this day and age of health and safety. <laughs> I don't think they would have, they would have passed any pat 
testing or anything like that these days. <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah, presumably, I, I remember I remember local discos in village halls and um, and the DJs were always um, the ones who pulled all the all the girls. So presumably you had your pick of... Yes, obviously that <laughs> happened, yes, all the time. <laughs> no, I, I have to say, I was just, I was I was so intent on what our next record was going to be, etc. And, you know, you had to flip through so many records to find the one you wanted. And, you know, I had this very extensive system of, you know, alphabetical system where all my records were... Um, I didn't have didn't have time to Virgo. flirt with all the Virgo girls. organized yeah, bit of you. Yeah. Where's that concert? I, I don't know. <laughs> um. oh, anyway, so you left school, um, and much to your father's dismay, as you said before, he didn't go into accountancy. But um, yeah, back in 1978, what was your choice of? So so or? so I I at a, for A levels I did three A levels. I did English, which I loved. I did economics, which I hated and failed. Um, and um, I also did art, which I also loved. And that was what um, I ended up going down the art route. And I went to um, an art college in Kingston Polytechnic. It was an art foundation course. Um, and that the idea of the course was to decide which branch of the art world I would like to go into. Oh, very cool. So 1978, punk era. Imagine you going into art college as like, did you get into the whole punk scene? Right. So um, sadly, at that particular time, so I was in my closeted public school world. And I remember going to the interview in 1978 um, for the, you know, for the course Dressed in my best Bee Gees style flared <laughs> jean, uh, flared trousers with wide lapel jacket, um, and sitting in the corridor waiting for my turn to go into the interview room. And all these other students who were already at the college were walking past in their drainpipe trousers and their punk outfits. And I was thinking, hmm. <laughs> so if I come here, I think I might have to change my style slightly. <laughs> Um, and I did. So I got into I got into um, Kingston and um, and then I dyed my hair bright, bright white. Wow. Do you remember this, Sue? I really do. It was your David Hockney look. It was. Yeah, I, it was. It was sort of <laughs> David Hockney and Gary Newman, who was obviously. Yes. The, and I, Sting at the time, I think. Sting, as well. Yeah, Sting was had just done. Um, uh, the, the Who's Quadrophenia, and yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was very tight, tight trousers, sort of smart jackets, bright peroxide hair. Yeah, that was my look at those day in those days. <laughs> it was quite cool. cool. <laughs> Thank you, Sue. <laughs> I probably clashed with your hair at that time. Yeah, probably. Actually, you're right. Did you I get into the punk you... scene, Sue? Sorry, did you get into the punk scene? Not really. I did. I when I kind of went into um, about the same time. Um, I was working in the music industry, so we weren't really working with punk. But my first record company I worked for was a heavy metal label, so I had to do the same transition of getting rid of my public school look very quickly. And I kind of went quite grungy, not punky, but shaved hair at the back and spiky, oh. Um, oh. quite human, human leaguey look. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, so after Kingston, you went on to Middlesex, was it? 
Yeah, so that I then got into, um, so after, yeah, the, the idea of Kingston was decide. We did, we did a variety of different um, uh, disciplines there. We did fine art, we did model making, graphic design, textiles, whatever, to decide what would be the, the, uh, the avenue to go down. And I opted for graphic design and um, information design, it was called, which was publishing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I went to Middlesex Polytechnic and got in there and did a four-year graphic design course there. Um, and that was, I, that was, I mean, obviously I'd left home when I was eight effectively, but I was coming back home in the holidays. Um, but this is the first time I, I was, had my independence and living away from home because whilst I was at Kingston, it was quite close to, uh, to home. So I stayed with my parents during that year. And then in at Middlesex, I, I had a flat with, um, two other guys from the course. And so that was my first independent flat sharing experience um and that was great that was um brilliant cool that's nice so um after after um leaving college um you stayed up in london with the, did you stay with those same people or were you you stayed up in london to work yeah you- um we we stayed up there for a bit and we actually worked in the same Little of that. One of my first jobs was a freelance job, uh, working for a, um, a a small design company. And Max and Tim, who were the two guys that I lived with, also worked with him. Um, we had we had adjoining off uh, adjoining offices in this little office block um, uh, in Mount Pleasant, near Mount Pleasant, um, near Mount Pleasant Post Office, if you know where that is, in the middle of the city of London, and. Um, then we drifted apart, and um, and I and I got a job um, working on the Garden Magazine, which was the Royal Horticultural Society's magazine. So you know lots about gardening. That's brilliant, David. Excellent when we come into sorting out all of the vegetable garden here. Yes, as you will discover with most of the magazines that I worked on, because I then went on to work on Practical Household magazine, um, and then I went on to, and, and we'll come on to Matt, Matthew in a minute. He's also with you. I went on to work on Hotel and Restaurant magazine. I do the design on these magazines. I know nothing about the subject That's matter. That's not a good enough excuse. <laughs> I leave that to the editors <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> so you just mentioned Matthew. Um, we, you went on to work for um, a company called Quantum, and that's where you met Matthew, who's here with us. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing? Good. Um, so, Matthew, what was your first impression of David when you first met him? Well... I've always liked Dave for many, many different reasons. One is David's, as as it was alluded to earlier, David's love of music. And one thing that will always stay with me from the quantum days, which for me went on for 10 years, I think probably the same for you, David, was it? We stayed there endlessly, yes. (laughs) About a decade. When I started in 95, I think you must have been, what, a year before me or something like that? But the one thing that we had a thing called Lad's Corner, which was myself. Oh, no. <laughs> well, it was great. That's cool. There was a small area occupied by me, David, Jeff, Dominic, and Mark. And we just used to, it was a very laddy sort of area. But um, David was always playing music constantly, and it never interfered with anything, oddly, because sometimes, I mean, now I can't really sit and listen to music and work. But in those days, I, I managed it quite well. And Dave always had 
some good music. I mean, there's, there are bands that I wouldn't have known about if it hadn't have been for David, and they are Granddaddy, uh, Badly Drawn Boy, The Hanson Family. I mean, there's a whole list of them, and uh, it was great. So my overriding memory of David from those days, apart from our trips down to the local CAF, which we all went to at lunchtime, <laughs> was, was just the music. The music was great, and it continues to be great. And I suppose... I'm always intrigued as to how you how you have actually found all these obscure bands because I would never have found Granddaddy left to my own devices, but there it was. Um, I, I don't know how I found them actually. They they just they just find me. <laughs> yeah, I mean I still listen to Granddaddy today. You know, it's only as a result of those those times. Um, <laughs> So it's all good. I wonder where you were going with the lads' corner. That sounded like we could have been on dodgy territory. What other oh, memories yeah. have you got of Quantum, or can they be? Uh, can they be on air? Well, oh, yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't know if David feels the same as I do about Quantum. I mean, it was quite a riotous place to work. I mean, I've worked in numerous publishing companies, and some are <clears throat> very staid, and you know the job gets done in a normal way. And then there's Quantum, and Quantum was always a bit anarchic. I remember we used to play cricket in the office and there was never such a thing as a lunch break. Um, my, my overriding memory of the end, towards the end of uh, when we knew that Quantum, because eventually all the magazines were sold off to different companies and yeah. Quantum was disbanded and some of us were made redundant and some of us went with those com- with these magazines. But I remember we were, you weren't even on Club Mirror. I don't know what, you you just had been asked to write a feature on Club Mirror. Oh, we got <laughs> You know where I'm going with this one. You, and, go um, you really want to go there. Yeah, we're going to go there, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> You, you thought it would be for one of the very last magazines that Quantum produced out under the, the name of Quantum. You decided it would be a brilliant idea to go. And, the way, it's your fault yeah, now, it's, it's Matthew. All Matthew's you know? fault. It would be a brilliant idea to go and interview because Codmera covered all sorts of different clubs, working men's clubs, health clubs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you thought a lap dancing club would be an appropriate subject matter, and at that point, Spearmint Rhino were a big lap dancing club in London and so you were you arranged for a um an interview with the manager there and and a photo- and we went down with our with our with Rob our trusty um photographer yes. to go and photograph suitable images for the for the feature and we were given the run of the place if I remember right we, we had the run of the back office didn't we in a sense and we and we came up with this image of this of this very scantily clad lady, you know, dancing around a pole, which we put on the front cover. And we didn't tell the publisher we were doing this because we knew that if she knew, she would veto it. So we just thought, well, let's just do it. They're about to sell the magazine. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then we were struggling for a, a headline to go with this image of this of this um, of this woman who was sort of facing away from the camera, but as I said, fairly scantily dressed. And I just came up with this idea of of putting calling it wriggling spearmint bum. <laughs> And it goes down in history. It was, it was. It, I remember you came up with it in the cafe, didn't you? And we went straight back to get it on the cover. Uh, for those of you who who maybe don't remember the advert campaign for, there were there was a company called Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, which was a chewing gum company, and that was there, and that was there. Catch on was Wrigley Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, and yeah, <laughs> you just changed that. You just changed that one letter. 
It was just enough. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I remember that in, in the in the reception area at Quantum, all of the magazines when they came out were put out on the on the on the um on a sort of display <laughs> magazine display board. And the receptionist thought it would be quite amusing when ours came out to put it all on the top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> And then the, our publisher, Sarah Trainer, came in um, and saw this there and collected them all up and took them away. And, and she came all... up with the great, the great phrase she came up with. She, I think you were the only one that actually got hauled over the coals for it because I was freelance, so it didn't worry me. Yeah, I was the only one still working for the company, I think, yeah. And she said something like, the trust is gone. The trust yeah. is gone. I know. Great time though. That was, I mean, that was one of the best. To, even to this day, I still think it's the best cover that Club Mirror's ever done. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree entirely. And, and going back to you know what I was saying about our paths crossing, that was another weird time. But I spent a lot of time in Scarborough Road in the same office for a, another publishing company that also published Club, Club Mirror, um, and that was just. Before or after? Yeah, well, we, we yeah, was... before that, I think, for uh, for McLaren's and EMAP. So very odd. We sort of had all of these different, yeah, sort of synchronicities. Oh, cool! Thanks, yeah. Matthew, for sharing all of. The... <laughs> oh, my your... pleasure. There's a lot of quantum stories. <laughs> I'm sure there are. I'm sure there. Are. So, um, so David, I think it would be nice to do um, go into a song now. And can, do you want to tell us what song you've chosen? Yeah, so I, uh, my first song for today is um, David Bowie, as, as Sue mentioned. David yeah. Bowie, I've always been a huge David Bowie fan. Uh, one of my first albums I remember buying was David Bowie's Aladdin Sane album. And there's one song on there called Drive In Saturday, which I was always my favourite song on that album. Um, just... Um, the, 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 so the story goes um, that Bowie was traveling on a train from Seattle to Phoenix whilst touring the US. And he looked out at the bleak landscape he was passing and imagined a world after a nuclear catastrophe where the radiation had affected people's minds and they had to learn to make love again by watching old movies. And out of that, he came up with his really abstract lyrics for the song Drive In Saturday. So shall we hear that? Let me put my arms around your head Gee, it's hot, let's go to bed Don't forget to turn on the light Don't laugh, babe, it'll be all right Pour me out another phone I'll ring
formation Mid this fallout saturation Cursing at the astronaut That stands in steel by his cabinet He's crashing out with Sylvia Euro supply for aging men With snorting head He gazes to the shore Once it raged The sea that raged no more Like the video films he saw That was great listening to David Bowie. So cool. So, David, you have a quote for us that you'd like to share. Yes, I do. Uh, so this is a quote from John Lennon. Um, and it's, it matters not who you love, where you love, why you love, when you love or how you love. It matters only that you love. Mm, that is perfect. That is such a lovely I just, quote. I just love John, John Lennon. You know, he's a... He's a genius in my mind, and he just was able to come out with quotes like that, which are so simple. They're not philosophically challenging or anything, and that, and I just love those. those that's the simplicity of yeah, that. Yeah, and it's so true, and it's totally our philosophy here and everything. Yeah. Oh, nice. Hey, we've got Addy in the studio with us, who's going to share some horoscope stuff with you. Hello. Hi, Hi little, Addy. I have a little surprise for you, David. Oh, gold. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know almost everything about you. 
if I had more, more time, you know, I would have probably go, gone deeper. But for now, uh, what I actually got to know about you is that you're running. Well, actually, the stars love you. That's what I can say. All the stars love you. Um, it's, it seems you are a Virgo. I am a Virgo. Yes, you are a Virgo, but uh, because you are born on the 24th of August, uh, that, that's the first decade, yeah. or, um, well, it's 10 days. How do you call it? It's not a decade. Uh, the first um, 10 days, you yeah. know, so, uh, of uh, the Virgo sign. So you have a little, little traits from Leo as well. Not only Virgo, as far as I can see, but Venus is your planet, and it says you're quite compassionate person, mm-hmm. sentimental sometimes, and you love your home to be very nice, comfortable, yeah. and uh, eventually you like a lot of, you know, books. Uh, yes. You like... That's strange because we have about five or six boxes of books which we haven't (laughs) unpacked yet. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Uh, So it says um, you could be quite resourceful and pragmatic person. Is that correct? Um, Yes. Yes. (laughs) I think so. In a way. But sometimes you you tend to be skeptical sometimes. Uh, Yes. Uh (laughs) I think that's true. Mostly enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. Oh, very enthusiastic. (laughs) Yes. And in relation with uh, your personal numbers, which are actually number six and your general number four, which is um, component number 13. Um, it says quite a lot, like sometimes you see in the future and sometimes you see exactly what's going to happen. That's, um, that's, you're born with it. Uh, so sometimes you can surprise the people that, uh, are all around you, uh, because you can find a solution that they cannot see for the near future. And so you have always a reasonable response if any obstacles you meet, you know, and your family or, or your friends, you always have a very pragmatic answer to them. Is that correct? Um, I'd now, say that's spot on. I'd say Jackie that's, says that's yeah. spot on. I was going to say, now you've told me that, I, I can see that. <laughs> you never noticed, did you? I, I yeah. actually knew you were going to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, that's, that's something good. That's something you can use, you know. Seeing uh, the tomorrow. Uh, yes. Uh, we, in a very grounded way, though, he's very, yeah, that scepticism keeps him really grounded in that. So he's got a lovely combination of, of that. Mm. Thank and you. And what, what is your favourite colour, by the way? Um, I'd say my favourite colour has to be blue. That's uh, correct. Yeah, I like blue. It is. Oh, there we go. So <laughs> the stars are suggesting your, your colour should be navy blue, but it should be uh, pastel blue. Is that correct? Um, you like pastel colors, is that correct? 
Um, I'm yeah, sort of. I do quite like um, strong colours as well. Um, yeah. Sort of certainly, sort of clothes wise, I'd probably wear more strong colours than especially pastel. when you're Morris dancing. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we can come on to Morris dancing later. I'm sure um, you will. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I do like. Yes, I like a mixture of different mm. shades. That's good. The shades are good. Well, we have a mixture, mixture of questions here. Okay. Uh, for you. So, <laughs> firstly, uh, Matt is in the studio, and probably, Matt, what is your oh. question to David? Well, my question to David is actually related to all the, the, the sort of moving around he does. I mean, you've gone from sort of the Croydon suburban greater London area, then you went down to Petworth in Sussex, and now you're in darkest South Wales. I just wondered how you're taking to the transition. It's not dark down here at all. It's beautifully light. <laughs> um, I'm taking very well. I mean, I have the one person that we haven't got to yet in my story is Jackie. And Jackie has, you know, has taken me. I nearly said drag, but I've, has taken me for various adventures, um, um, moving me around the country from a very comfortable inner, inner sort of town dwelling to out to finally here in, in Wales, where, we, um, as she said earlier, we have 80 acres of beautiful land and a very rural, um, we're on a farm. I mean, I never thought I'd live on a farm. No, he was very much a town boy when I met him. He he took about 10 minutes to put a pair of wellies on. I mean, it was like sad. <laughs> but it's quite difficult to stand on one leg and put the welly on, I always found. And climbing over a fence or a gate. God, yeah, look at you. I can just nimbly hop over those gates now. <laughs> Um, no, so I have, you know, I've really taken to it um, like a, I was going to say a fish out of water. Duck that's to not water. Duck to water, <laughs> that's the expression, yes. Um, and talking of ducks to water, we have, I'm looking at a, a whole load of ducks on our lake as we speak, yeah. which is lovely. So where I'm sitting, I can look out over this beautiful lake here at Kinda Village. So yes, um, I've taken to it very well. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> that's good. Not no, I, to because, I only wonder because, you know, the, the darkest depths of South Croydon and the, the surrounding area to that sounds fantastic where you are now. So I just wondered how, I think you've been sort of eased into it, haven't you? Because you've gone from here where I live into places like Sussex and yeah, it's been it's been a gradual process. Gradual um, process. Yeah. So, but but yeah, but I've enjoyed every step of the way. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. okay. I am here in a hurry, not to miss my turn. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, David. In the future, potential, you know, future. If any natural disaster occurs, you know, strikes us, what are the three only things that? Um, uh, you'd take with you oh wow okay oh now that's going to be tricky isn't it um <laughs> so obviously first and foremost i'll take jackie with me oh <laughs> this is not a thing because that, that you are a so thing you're, <laughs> well, i can't live without you darling um okay. but um i i i would have to take my computer with me because i would be lost without my computer um, which is sad but it is my my access to the world as you know um, yeah. not just I mean, huge music library and stuff, yeah so exactly yeah. um 
and um, my collection of waistcoats. <laughs> I think it would be quite important. I don't get no. to I don't get to wear them anymore down here on the farm. Right. But I have I have a huge collection of waistcoats which um, I used to wear quite a lot. And when I'm being a theatre director, I like to wear them then. So. Um, <laughs> So My God! Well, I, <laughs> I was expecting you to say I'm gonna grab a knife and the matches so I can. No, like, exactly. that's, how, that's how I'm practically is. <laughs> this is this is why this is why this is why I'm taking Jackie with me. All right, <laughs> she's good. bringing all the sensible more practical. stuff. <laughs> okay, now I have all you. those in my pockets the whole time, so he knows that. Yeah. <laughs> we we have Sue here in the studio as well with us. So, Sue, what is your question to David? Okay, my question to David is: You've obviously done a lot in your life so far. What would you say would be the thing you're most proud of? And then the other part of the question would be, what are your goals for 2021? Okay, thank you, Sue. Um, yes, my, 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 so I'm going to break the first part down because there, there's a couple of things which I'd like to say there. One is um, I'm, I'm probably most proud of my two boys, Remy and Alexi, my sons. Um, and I, it was, they're just a joy to me. And um so they're they're very important to me, obviously. Um, but more, but last year during lockdown, um, I managed to finally write a a play which I've been working on in my head for uh, a number of years. And because we had, I had time on my hand, I managed to finish that play. It's um, it's a play based on the novel Black Beauty, and is and it's called Beauty, my play, and. So going on to what I would like to do, you know, one, one of the challenges that I'd like to do next this coming year would be to ideally I'd like to perform it somewhere. But um, obviously at the moment, theatres are all closed um, in the in the short term. I'm I'm got a marvellous group of of um, actors that I do Zoom play readings with. So I'm in the, I'm, I'm, I'm planning on recording it um and just to see how it feels and and you can all listen to it once it's all done so that's that's one that's certainly one thing this this coming year that i i, I want to do other than that obviously is get kind of village um running um the way that that we've envisaged jackie and i have envisaged when we came here and we've got loads of plans here and there's a lot of work to do and we're obviously a bit restricted at the moment with with lockdown but we we're we've got plans we can do even with lockdown so that yeah that's the the key thing great <laughs> we have more questions for you now but i have to ask django because uh, they are uh, recorded questions for you um the first question is from Kat, our Kat Temple. Django, if you Hello, play. David, it's Kath Temple. Just a I question can. for you today on your kind of, this is your live show. <laughs> um, what pivotal influences and influences have there been upon your life that's helped you to be the man you are today with the dreams and the hopes that you have today? Um, wow, okay. Gosh, you see at this point where you think, wow, I wish I'd heard these questions beforehand. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think um, so pivotal people um, have got to, I mean, but going back to drama, really, the, the sort of people that um, um, I that, um, have 
put on play, you know, Cameron Macintosh, people like that who have put on you know, massive productions and uh, and have uh, inspired me to go on to go to watch them and inspired me to go and get, move into the theatre world. I think that that's got to be those those type of people. And there's, there's numerous people like that. But that that's probably my biggest influence. Nice. Yay. Excellent. Brilliant answer. Oh, that's so nice. So I just wanted to um, wrap up the life of the This Is Your Life, my finishing off um, that sex section of stuff. So with the personal life, you're married in 1991 and um, had Remy and Alexi, 1992 and 1997, your two boys, and you are the most awesome father. You did a lot of um, single parenting um, when we met, and, yeah, I was really impressed with the way you handled that. It was lovely. Um, you separated in 2005. We met in 2006, um, and... Um, We've have Hayden in the studio with us. Um, you were you you started getting into theatre directing as we've touched upon um, singing, theatre, and directing. And um, and one of the people who has been um, a big part of your life in most recent years is is Hayden. And um, hi, Hayden. Hello. How are you? Good. 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 Lovely to have you here. Um, so, what do you remember when you first? What do you remember most when you first met David? Um. Oddly enough, the first thing I remember about David is his long hair. He had long hair when I first met him, in a ponytail. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. It, it We were going for we, yeah, the other day. We were talking about this. Um, we went for an audition for Oliver, and David had gone for Bill Sykes, and I went for Fagin. And I remember bumping into him as I was going in. He was coming out, and we sort of had a brief chat and was like friendly. And the next thing I know, we became Facebook buddies and, you know, God awful Facebook. And and then it all went from there. So it's kind of... A- so, so what I remember about that, Hayden, is um, I went in for my audition for Bill Sykes and I didn't get the role. And I met bumped into you outside and you you clearly were going to go for the audition for Fagin because you were dressed as Fagin <laughs> with a cloak <laughs> and a hat. And I thought... That's how you get the part, and you got your part. <laughs> <laughs> so ever since then, I've always dressed up to go to auditions. Uh, well, there's, 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 a little, there's a little trick there, David, and the trick is to uh, help the audition cast see you in the role that they... Absolutely, yeah, yeah thank you, thank you. David. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so since then, we, we've worked together. Um, I've directed you in a couple of, um, a couple of musicals, haven't I? Um, have indeed. You were my Professor Higgins in My Fair Lady. I and, was. And you were both Jekyll and Hyde in Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, um, that was that fun. Was <laughs> Very great. It was a great role. Both of them were great roles, actually. I remember My Fair Lady, I remember because I, yeah, I was doing chess and you came to a rehearsal of chess. And right. Yeah, and you just to watch us do chess. And then I think during the break, you came up to me and said, would you be interested in auditioning for Henry Higgins? And I remember thinking, I'm not old enough. <laughs> you know, I'm no. certainly not old enough for Henry Higgins. And you were great. You did a really good, good Henry Higgins. Yes, I wanted. I mean, you were clearly were old enough, and but I know you <laughs> pretend to be a lot younger than you are. But, um, but, but I actually wanted a younger Henry Higgins because I think that's how. Sure. Uh, that's how um, Bernard Shaw um, wrote the part for Pygmalion. So, David, I'm going to interrupt you and we're going to go for some more questions. So, yeah. um, have we got a question from Hugh? Question for you. It's uh, Hugh from 
South Africa. I would like to know how you express yourself physically. You know, I can have very clear images of you around the Maypole with your hats and your garters and your sticks, and your drums and your yard of ale. Um, but that may not be your way or your secret way. <laughs> I can see you doing that. <laughs> how do you express yourself physically, David? Well, th thanks, thanks for that, Hugh. Uh, I mean, your Morris dancing is is something that the Foster family have been doing for many years. Um, my father taught me to Morris dance as, as my grandfather taught him to through the generations. And no, I, I have never, I have never Morris danced in my life. The first time that Hugh saw David, he was determined that he was a Morris dancer with his crazy bushy beard and long, long, long hair and his back as a standing joke ever since then. Um, and, and, and anybody who has tried to choreograph me on the stage knows that I have two left feet. So my, my dancing abilities are so how do you express yourself physically, darling? Um, I Well, with my sartorial eloquence, <laughs> um, obviously, but hence the, the waistcoats from before. Um, and, um, I mean, I do like to dance. I'm just not very good at it. Um, <laughs> so give me enough drink and a dark disco. Sing, yeah, I sing and, um, and, I, and performing, you know. And, cool. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Do we have time for another question there, Django? Um, I think we had um, Ian. David, if you had a mission statement for your life, one that described your heart and your purpose, what kind of things would it say? Maybe you do have one. Blessings to you, dear friend. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. Uh, my mission for life, well, my mission for life has changed um, in the last couple of months, having moved down here to um, to Wales and to kind of village, and my mission now, as I said before, is to drive this wonderful place forward and and to reach out, do a lo lot of social impact, um, have people here on retreats, and that that's really what um, I'm I'm going to throw my Apart, I will be doing more drama. I mean, I'd love the theatres to open again and be able to get back to actually directing live performances again. Um, but alongside that, I want to get this place up and running with Jackie. Mm, excellent. I mean, it's just such an amazing resource. It's just, yeah, we're desperate to, to get it going. Um, is there a question from Joe? Hi, David. Joe Engel here. David, being in theatre and production and having done some acting yourself, I mean, this is really a passion and it's um, part of personality and uh, talent and it's very much part of one. Um, how does it, does it at all um, play into your own life at times? Maybe Jackie can also comment on this, you know. Is this sometimes, not that I've ever heard you or experienced you as someone being overly dramatic or anything, but does drama sometimes play a part in, in your relationship? Could you be overly dramatic at times? I don't know, Jackie. And then just another question is, um, do you have any plans for a theatre at Kind of Village in Wales? Enjoy your day, David. Thank you so Thank much you. for your amazing contribution to Kindness Sound Radio as well. Ciao.
No. Okay, thank you, Joe. Very quickly, yeah. Um, do, yes, I think I can be quite dramatic at times. Um, I, you know, certainly when I'm involved with a production, I think I that comes through into my personal life. Well, I just, I'm, I'm just completely absorbed by it at that time. And as far as the, the, yes, definitely want to try and do something theatrical here at Kind of Village. There's various place spaces where we could do some theatre and yeah one of the that's one thing we're looking to do there's a beautiful natural amphitheater on the land that it would be fantastic to do some and and also just bringing in that social impact aspect of theatre David and I've talked a lot about of, of allowing people to be somebody different and put on a different sort of mask and and pretend to be more confident if they're very unsure of themselves and stuff so drama has such a good way of of being therapeutic we're gonna go into your second song now david and wrap up this beautiful session so yeah. thank you so much for sharing your no, life thank story you thank you us. all for being there with us and, uh, yeah thank you everybody for all of your input so your last song is it's um queen um heaven for everyone and just very quickly that the, the lyrics i think is just right for the time we're living in at the moment this world could be fed, this world could be fun, this world could be free, this world could be won, this world could be heaven for everyone. Mm. Enough said. Play the song. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody. Lots of love to you all. Thanks for joining us. This could be Should be free. This world could be one. We should. Re-